Canes and the Edmonton Oilers tomorrow night at PNC Arena. I'll be there. Hope to see you there. Chip Tracy will be there, and he joins us right now. Uh, Hurricanes crack game analyst on TV and radio, Bally Sports, and 99.9 The Fan of Raleigh. Sir, uh, let's get to Saturday and and talk about the top line, Ajo, Teravainen, and Jarvis. And I'm not saying it was the first time that we had seen them really impose their will on the game, but I thought it might have been the first time as a group that they were all noticeable for basically their entire night. No? Yeah, I, I, I thought that, first of all, for that line individually, A.G., uh, Ajo's line played against Sidney Crosby for probably 95% mm-hmm. of their shift during the game, and pro- one of those 5% uh, is when Crosby scored the first goal in the first period. Yep. And on the TV side of our simulcast, truthfully, in the first intermission, I, I challenged Ajo. You know, because he was going to need to at least match Crosby's performance, if not surpass it. And they were able to deliver with seven combined points, he and Jarvis and Teravine in periods two and three. So you need your star players to be star players. That was a very encouraging sign. And then you think about it, as much as Rod has tinkered with his forward lines here in the first month and a half plus now, more than any other time, for me, since he's been a head coach for the Hurricanes, now he has, I think, some combinations that he likes. You know, the stall line, he can keep them <laughs> intact. Kokiniemi's line, yeah, they had a goal over a turn that would have been Svechnikov's first, but I still think you can build off of that and then your fourth line. So my hope is, you know, beginning with a very grizzled Oilers team mm-hmm. based on where they're at tomorrow night, that the line combination line combinations you would hope are there uh, not to be tinkered with, and, and this is how it should look. Trip Tracy is joining us here on the Adam Gold Show. Of course, we said that about their game in Tampa <laughs> the previous Saturday, and I remember doing the uh, the aftermath and then the podcast after the game on Wednesday night, uh, and I was a technical mess Wednesday night after the Flyers. Well, it's very indicative of the Hurricanes against the Flyers, actually. Uh, I think it just bled upstairs. The You're not back. You're not truly there until you're there, until it stops being a question. So getting to do that more than once in a row is the challenge to make tonight or tomorrow night against Edmonton look like it did Saturday against Pittsburgh. That's how you build separation. And, you know, it's that's it, uh, why I, I thought that Saturday night's game and, and now the challenge is what do you do with it here uh, in the main, remaining three games of this homestand? But other than the New York Rangers who, who finally lost last night um, and, you know, are, are sizably up in the Metropolitan Division, the Metropolitan Division games, AG, are as important or, for me, more important than they've ever been because you have such a congested pack, whether it be Carolina, whether it be Pittsburgh, whether it be Washington, whether it be Philadelphia. New Jersey at some point with Jack Hughes back is going to get going. So that's a game that you absolutely needed to have, and I think it's fabulous that they are truly really important games in the division. But now that you've gotten that, you know, to be able to 
stack it up with another victory. What a great test tomorrow night. Edmonton with more pressure than mm-hmm. that market has faced in any time that I can remember. Um, and the Hurricanes can't be complacent at all. They have to deliver the same type of complete performance where everybody's pulling on the rope. And then you think about Tampa to round out a season series in Columbus before you go on the road and come home for another couple before you go to Western Canada. So um, can the Hurricanes locate that carrot that has eluded them so far this year and be able to replicate what was a great performance? That's that's the challenge tomorrow night, no doubt about it. All right, let's get to the the other, it's not the elephant in the room, but on the third defensive pairing that Rod has kind of uh, gone back and forth with against Pittsburgh he went as far as to break up somewhat Brady Shea and Brett Pesci. What he did in the second and third period was essentially divide their time. Sometimes they were together, about half the time they were together, and half the time Pesci played with Orloff and Shea played with D'Angelo because the ice time for both Tony and Dimitri were pretty low based on certainly lower than Orloff is used to playing, because I think he played the least of Carolina's defensemen. It was just under 14 minutes, if I'm not mistaken, in the game. Uh, but And Pesci and Shea both played well over 20. If he's, It looks to me like he's going to go with Chatfield and Orloff on the third pair tomorrow night against Edmonton. I've been saying all along, until Dimitri gets his legs under him in this style... That's probably the best thing for Carolina as a team. Yeah, I think if, first of all, I thought that as Carolina, not that they didn't have a good first period because, you know, they they did play well yeah. in the first period against Pittsburgh. But, you know, I mentioned it early in the second period of the broadcast. I mean, when you look at, I think at the time early in the second period, your top four at that point in the season were a combined plus 18 and I can't remember the exact number when you factor in Orloff, D'Angelo, and Chatfield, but it was a minus over 20 combined, I think. And, you know, that's stark, that difference, uh, to, to put it mildly. So um, splitting, putting Orloff with Pesci for a good percentage of that game, as you mentioned, and putting D'Angelo with Shea, I thought was a very, very wise adjustment. Um, moving forward, two things factor in if Chatfield plays with Orloff tomorrow. I do think that it gives Dmitry Orlov a really good presence. If Chadfield can play the game that he's capable of playing, his last game was not very good uh, no. against Florida, um, you know, a week and a half ago or whatever it was. So a chance for him to respond if he gets back in the lineup. But I like the makings of that pairing. And then the other thing that I think about is while the power play has been a very good success story for the majority of this season, and it's both units. You know, the, the production has been, for me, close to down the middle as to who's produced in the man advantage. The last couple of games, Pittsburgh, even though they won the game, they gave up two shorthanded uh, uh, breakaways. Mm-hmm. Both units did in the first and third periods. Uh, and against Philadelphia, they weren't very good either. So if you think about maybe, as has been the case in practice, giving Slavin an opportunity in D'Angelo's spot when you bring Chatfield in. I think it's a good experiment. Whether you would ever use Slavin or Brady Shea, what you're always thinking about the back of your head is, please make sure that it's not going to at all impact what they've done at five on five. That's a big piece of the puzzle. But based on circumstance, and you want to keep everybody 
uh, a part of it, give Chatfield a chance to come in and make an impression. I like the thought if he goes with Orloff and Chatfield based on uh, that you want to give Chatfield that opportunity and the power play, D'Angelo's unit has not uh, thrived in particular the last couple of games. So I think it would be the right adjustment at this point. I'm I'm dealing with a lot of comments, you know, uh, especially on the podcast about uh, Tony's defensive play. And my response to that was, he's being Tony D'Angelo. Tony's defensive deficiencies were masked two years ago by playing the majority of his minutes with Jacob Slavin, who's going to cover anybody's defensive mistakes. Uh, So it it was less noticeable. But when he's not playing with Slavin, they're all going to be there. My bigger problem with Tony was that he kind of messed up both power plays that he was on. So the one thing that we want Tony to do, this is your job. The reason you're here is to help the power play. And he really kind of botched both power plays with poor passing and some bad decisions. And to me, that was the most uh, most glaring problem, not the defensive lapses, because those are going to be there. I'm not saying you expect them or you or accept them, but I'm not surprised by them. I was surprised that he hasn't been as good offensively of late. I think Slavin's very good at walking the blue line, uh, which to me is as as much as... D'Angelo's best skill is his ability to pass, and I still can't get over the pass to Michael Bunting in in the Philadelphia game. That maybe might be the best pass I've ever seen Tony make uh, in his career. That I don't know how long the pass was—a hundred and fifty foot pass uh, on Bunting's tape, which frankly he should have scored. Uh, but if Tony's not going to be offensively positive, then I think they have to play. Jalen Chatfield, what do you, what what are your thoughts on Auntie Ranta after what we saw him against Pittsburgh? Well, actually, you make me think about, and it, it wasn't the D'Angelo group. The, the D'Angelo given group giving up shorthanded breakaway was Russ late in the first period where Russ hit the post, which was a big turning point. Right. The other group gave up the shorthanded breakaway in the third period, and I believe it was Achari that had the chance. And this is right after um, Jari had made a phenomenal save on the right before Carolina drew the power play um, on Seth Jarvis from Tabo Teravainen. So um, that save that Ronson made on that breakaway, I don't think Carolina wins the game Mm -hmm. if he doesn't make that save because shorthanded goals are an absolute dagger. It's rare that it doesn't take the wind out of your sails. And, you know, so I think it's proactive coaching. Again, if you make the change, um, of bringing Chatfield in, giving Slave, give Slavin an opportunity on that power play group. You got to clean up these shorthanded breakaways. They've happened with too much uh, regularity. But when I look at Ronta, his his biggest moments uh, were in the second period. He made a couple of saves when they were down one nothing. And I would be totally remiss if I didn't mention Brady Shea's starlight <laughs> play on that open net, um, which was at a critical portion of that second period, and then. Ronta once again in the third period. That shorthanded uh, breakaway, a goaltender's just made a 10-plus uh, you know, save at the other end. A power play isn't cooking. Would have been a shorthanded goal. I-, I believe if he doesn't make that save, Carolina loses the hockey game. That's uh, old hat for Ronta in different ways at home, uh, whether it's allowing his team to get in front of the game, as has been the case on, uh, on many a night, or keeping them within striking distance or making those critical saves at the at, at the most consequential where the game could turn one way or the other times. And he continues to 
answer the bell on all fronts, and they'll have to do it again tomorrow night, you know, because uh, uh, the story in Edmonton is massive. Connor McDavid had two goals, even though they lost last night. Dry Settle is struggling. Um, you know, they have other weapons up front. Uh, so Auntie will have to just repeat, rinse and repeat what he's done at home because it's been a fabulous story. Yeah, their Edmonton's problems have been preventing goals. <laughs> I mean, they're not the same prolific team offensively, but their problems have been preventing goals. You and I will talk more about this tomorrow uh, in advance of the Canes and the Oilers trip, Tracy. I appreciate your time as always, sir. A.G., you got it. Happy. Well, we'll talk tomorrow. I'll yeah. just wish you a happy Thanksgiving and hopefully with Carolina, two more points in the turkey bank. You got it. Thanks, man. Thanks, A.G.